It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, January 12th, 2024. I'm Lisa Brady. The time for talking is running out in Iowa, where Monday is caucus night. This is the first time we actually get the pulse of everyday Americans putting a name on paper and saying, this is who we're actually voting for. We speak with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. I'm Chris Foster. A daily radio show, a new stand-up special, and book just weren't enough. Wow, Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon is a cable news keg party. That's the hook. That's, <laughs> okay. what, we're, that's what we're calling it. Jimmy Fallon is on to talk about his new show and more. And I'm Will Kane, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. They're in the home stretch in Iowa. This country needs to be rescued from what's happening right now. Um, and I'm the only one running uh, that is going to be, get, be able to get the job done. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis urging Iowans to caucus for him Monday night, though he's now third in the Fox News power rankings, edged out by former South Carolina governor and Trump U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley, who tells Fox News. We focus on relationships with the people on the ground and gaining their trust. And that's why you see this has become a two-person race with me and Donald Trump. Haley also says she wasn't surprised by Chris Christie's hot mic moment, critical of her campaign spending. I mean, who's punching above their weight and who's getting a return on their investment, you know, and she's going to get smoked. The former New Jersey governor saying Haley's not up to this, even as Christie suspended his second run for the White House. He's been the one most often targeting the frontrunner, former President Trump, who was in a New York courtroom yesterday for closing arguments at his civil fraud trial. Then Trump held a news conference at one of the properties where he's accused of inflating asset values. Millions and millions of pages, years of litigation and all politically motivated. He says the multiple trials he's facing are election interference. DeSantis argues Trump's legal issues would overshadow Republican efforts to focus on President Biden. But on paper, it's not clear any of the remaining Republican candidates can catch Trump. With the first chance for voters to have a say, now just a few days away. Well, somebody's got to pull off an upset or a surprise on Monday in the caucuses or... You know, some people would say it's all over but the crying. Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream is in Iowa. I think New Hampshire will be interesting because obviously with Chris Christie out of the race, there's the question of whether his supporters will take interest in joining up with Nikki Haley. She's the closest, obviously, to former President Trump in New Hampshire. But Iowa comes first. And, you know, what I hear from folks on the ground is it's not as close as the polls say. Um, listen, we're looking at weather in the negative digits on caucus day. And these folks here in Iowa are way more hardy than I am. But when we looked at our polling not long ago uh, in-house at Fox and, and asked people how committed they are to showing up at the caucuses no matter what, uh, Ron DeSantis's followers and people who are committed to caucus with him were well ahead of the commitments um, for Trump and Haley when it when you measured their promise that they were going to show up. So we'll see if all those things actually make a difference. I think for Ron DeSantis to have that argument that he's still viable, he's got to get within striking distance of Trump or pull off some kind of um, surprising upset here and certainly not finish second to Haley, which would almost certainly doom him moving forward. Getting back to Chris Christie for a minute, he seemed to be saying, I want to help clear a path 
for someone else since I don't have a path to be president. Um, But then he was caught dissing Nikki Haley's potential Mm -hmm. uh, on a hot mic. How much do his exit or his comments really matter? It might not matter much. I mean, he was going to get trounced here in Iowa. That's clear. Christie has not invested much time or money or personnel or anything in Iowa. But he must have felt like New Hampshire was going to be an absolute losing conversation. What's interesting is to find out this group, No Labels, that is on more than a dozen state ballots. They run run as a third party. They want to mount a bipartisan ticket. We find out that they were actually talking to Christie allies and other people before he dropped out to say, hey, consider coming over to do a, a party to get with us. All we know is that there were some conversations with you know, people close to him about doing a third party run rather than staying in the GOP primary before he dropped out. So I'm really interested to see if that bears any fruit. Hmm. And to be clear, that's an effort in general that has such a long way to go because there Mm -hmm. are so many ballots that they haven't made it onto at this point, right? The Biden campaign, meantime, is sticking with its script of steady, experienced leadership and arguing, you know, Republicans represent extremes and chaos, Are there any signs that is working for the president, especially when it comes to winning back some of the base support that he's been losing? You know, there was one poll out, I believe it was Quinnipiac, but it was in Pennsylvania and it wasn't good for Trump. This is one of the polls where it showed Biden besting him and Democrats potentially on the down ticket there ahead of their Republican counterparts. On the other hand, though, there was a Michigan poll that was very good for the Trump camp. So they're going to argue uh, the Trump team that they're moving ahead. You heard him in the town hall on Fox saying, I'm the one who's against bedlam and chaos. While the Trump team says, listen, we're going back to this talking point that worked in 2020. People were exhausted by the Trump presidency. We're the ones who will promote and protect democracy and freedom. That Pennsylvania poll is a little bit of hope and hopefulness for the Biden campaign, because most of the polls in recent weeks have not been good for them. The border crisis is certainly getting a lot more widespread media attention now than it used to get. Uh, There is a tug of war over that issue in Congress with some other issues attached. Could this time be different for lawmakers on immigration reform? And could the House Republican effort to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary in the meantime get in the way of potential progress on the issue? Oh, goodness. There are so many competing lanes here. Um, But you pose a great question. Will this be different? The Biden team knows that the polling for him on every outlet out there when it comes to border security and immigration is negative. He is upside down and he's had public call outs by Democratic governors and mayors who say this White House must do something. They know that it's bad for their citizens and their communities right now, but they also are looking ahead, feeling it's going to be bad on the ballot as well. So there's a lot of pressure on these polls and from Democrats publicly calling out the president that really makes the White House understand they may have to move. Now, folks I've talked to who are close to these Senate negotiations say they're actually pleasantly surprised on how far the White House has come on some of these things. But it's the Senate Republicans and House Republicans that have to figure this out, because on the House side, of course, you know, there are hardliners who want a much tougher package. They feel like what's being negotiated in the Senate will not pass in the House. And they're questioning why the speaker isn't allowed to be a part of those Senate negotiations, because he's going to have to get this thing across the finish line on the House side. 
So, man, it looks like it really comes down to Senate Republicans and House Republicans more than it does the two different parties, because the House with only two vote majority for the GOP is going to be a very difficult place for them to move forward. But negotiators seem to say that the White House is moving on substantive things partially because they know the public optics on the border are horrendous. There's an openness I feel like we haven't seen before. They so blasted the Trump immigration policies and executive orders, got rid of many of them on day one, that they know it will be hard for them to go back to part of their base and certainly the progressive left that's putting pressure on them to say, yeah, we might have to actually adopt some of those ideas or consider them at least in the short term. Thrown into the mix in Washington right now is the defense secretary's delay in disclosing his prostate cancer treatment, which led to complications and a longer hospitalization. It's raised not only transparency questions for the administration, but also some more basic concerns like how often does a president talk to his defense secretary? Is there a standard answer for that? Yeah, I mean, we're told that, you know, cabinet members are in constant touch with the White House. But man, this thing has sparked so many questions. It's almost like the more that we hear, the more outrageous to the average person, it seems like, oh, my goodness, how could we, you know, at the same time that we launched a strike in Baghdad, our defense secretary was in the hospital and ICU had cancer and the president didn't even know. I think many of us would argue, okay. Maybe the public doesn't need to know everything, although there's an argument this is a defense secretary. We are in conflicts around the world. It would be fair for the public to know. But at the very least, for the president to not know seems really hard for people's stomach. You've seen in the briefings this week, um, Admiral Kirby's been pressed on this. Um, Corrine Jean-Pierre's been pressed on this, you know, and just constantly said, yeah, yeah, we have some questions, too. Yeah, we're looking for answers. And and we hear the Defense Department inspector general is now going to press on this. But yeah, I do think you're exactly right. It raises questions that we all as normal everyday Americans would have about, OK, how much does the president talk to his cabinet members, especially one that's overseeing operations around the globe that involve our troops, that involve strikes on foreign targets, and to not know he's hospitalized at that time. For me, what's even more astounding is the number two Uh, at the Pentagon was given some of the duties, was on a vacation in Puerto Rico, and she was not even told that the secretary was in the hospital. That seems very hard to understand. This, of course, at a time of, of conflict and tension you referenced, especially in the Middle East, a lot of that's being driven in one way or another by Iran backed groups. In the meantime, we've got decision time finally approaching uh, the first contest in the 2024 race, the Iowa caucuses. Um, There's got to be a huge buzz there in Iowa, Shannon. The fact that we're not going to get out of the negative digits on um, caucus day, again, raises questions about enthusiasm and turnout. Um, We've had our, you know, reporters who've been here on the ground, I just landed, but Uh, You know, they're out talking to people today and said, you know, they have some folks suggesting to them, hey, Trump's up by 30, 40, 50 points. You know, if I can get out, I will. But I'm I'm confident that he's going to win. That's what the Trump folks are worried about. They don't want when they've managed expectations so high to have any kind of problem, um, even a close second place finisher finisher, um, would not be something that they would want to see. They do want to win by 30, 40 points and make it convincing, especially going into New Hampshire. I mean, this is the first time we actually get the pulse of everyday Americans putting a name on paper and saying, this is who we're actually voting for. So um, yeah, a lot of buzz here. The folks here are so savvy in Iowa. Many of them have met these candidates multiple times, talked to them at their diners, their churches, their Oaks Lodge. 
um, their kids' schools, I mean, they are some still undecided, but many of them have had so many personal interactions. Um, they may know these candidates better than those of us who cover them. Fox's Shannon Bream, host of Fox News Sunday and the Live in the Bream podcast. Stay warm, Shannon. Do my best. Thanks so much. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You know him. You love him from his radio show. I know. I can't believe they gave me a show either. Now, Jimmy Fallon is coming to Fox News on Saturday night. Look, I'm not here on behalf of either party. I just want to have a party. Now, that's what I'm talking about. So grab a frosty mug, pour yourself a beverage, and join me for the all-new Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon. Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon. Premieres Saturday, January 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Only on the Fox News Channel. Saturdays just got a whole lot funnier. This is Will Kane with your Fox News commentary coming up. Fox Cross America radio show host, stand-up comedian, and author Jimmy Fallon has another job now, too, hosting Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon. That debuts tomorrow, January 13th. There's a new book out January 30th called Cancel Culture Dictionary, an A to Z guide to winning the war on fun, and a stand-up special streaming on Fox Nation now called They're Just Jokes. Do you know how hard it is to fit in at a cable news channel as a cab driver who dresses like an overweight figure skater? It's not easy. It's not easy, okay? And here's the truth. I'm good at it. I'm actually really good at it. The problem is I still have a lot of dirtbag friends. That's the issue. And some of those friends will no doubt be watching the news show tomorrow night. Wow, Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon is a cable news keg party. That's the hook. That's, <laughs> okay. what, we're, that's what we're calling it. It's on Fox News Channel, 10 p.m. Eastern. Reason being, okay, as a comic, for real, this is like the one serious point I'm going to make while we're here, okay. um, is I feel like comedy, specifically late night comedy, is actually hurting the country in a weird way right now because it's become very partisan. And I considered late night comedy growing up to be like the number one source of common culture, meaning you could turn it on at the end of the day to kind of escape the news. You might everybody, hear, everybody watched Carson. He would make yeah. jokes about the news. Thank but you. He, but he kind of did yeah, yeah, both sides. It wasn't so much that you didn't know where he stood. It's that you didn't care. Okay. It was like a permission slip to go wherever you wanted to for an hour. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to give back to the culture an autonomous zone. Does that make sense? Sure. So just, just for an hour. Like the show will end and the Sunday show will start a few hours later and everybody can hate each other again. But I just want to be the timeout step. That's it. Let's go back 47 years. Yeah. Um, childhood, how'd you get into stand-up? How'd you start driving a cab? Uh, I had a fifth-grade teacher who told me to watch Carson, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Pascana. Mm-hmm. And uh, listen, it's Levittown. She might have been day drunk. <laughs> but right. she was like, no, you should watch it. You should do it. She knew I was going to do my homework. She's like, you might as well give him something to do. And she had told me to watch it. And from that day forward, I just always wanted to do it. And the way I actually got into comedy from my childhood, I guess, ambition to actually doing it, this mm-hmm. is interesting. How, is, how old when you first got on stage? Uh, 27. Okay, oh, so 20 late. years ago. Yeah, yeah, really late. Um, and I wouldn't have did it. So my parents married 30 years. They got divorced, and uh, I was at a play. My buddy Steve Robbins was in a play at New York Tech University, and uh, I noticed his divorced mom in the audience on a Friday night, and I was like, man, it would be cool if my mom had something to do, because she was sad. She just got divorced. So I went to an open mic, and then it just kind of turned into a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I was so good that I spent the next 10 years driving a yellow cab. Um you got book deals along the way. Mm-hmm. How'd that work out? So uh, there was a, a CBS broadcaster by the name of Charles Osgood who hosts CBS Sunday Morning sure. and 
Horton Hears a Who and all that jazz. I picked him up in a cab one day, and he was a Yankee fan. Like, we became fast friends talking about the Yankees. Because I used mm-hmm. to just deal whoever got into whatever was happening in my life. Yeah. So that's the way this, that's how this, uh, the Yankees got, Yankees got to trade Sheffield. You think so? And, you know, <laughs> and then we got into it, and we talked, and he was explained who he was and said he didn't do anything in comedy, but he would love to support me in any way he could and that he published. So he had asked me for, um, you know, like a sample chapter. I wrote it. It was great because he called me up, and he's like, uh, this is fascinating stuff. I don't want it anywhere near what I do. <laughs> it's like, uh, so he started an imprint. It was called Big Top Press. And I believe that's the only book that they ever published. <laughs> claim the fame. But Osgood has always been like some quiet muscle behind the operation since about 2010. So you ended up here at Fox uh, writing for Kennedy. Yes. Did you know her before? Did you just no. apply for a job? So the jump on that, neither. I was doing uh, stand-up at Gotham Comedy Club down on 23rd and 7th. Mm-hmm. And her booker at the time, Andrew Heaton, saw me uh, and invited me to come be a panelist on her show the next day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I semi took him at his word that it was a serious thing. But I was still at that point not a full-time cabbie, but I was doing seven-day leases, which means you lease the cab, drive it whenever you want, but you're not working your traditional. Okay. Right. So the first time I appeared here for real, I had a cab double parked on 6th Avenue, trunk up, doors open, hazards on, because that's how you get out of the parking ticket. If it looks like you're hauling yeah. something, let you be. So I did her, I hit on her show, and on the way out, it was me, her, I believe, Kaylee McEnany, and I was like, nice to meet you. I got to go. I got to get my cab. And they were like, but there's nobody in it. And I was like, no, no, no. I meant, you know, it's, it's my cab. Like, I can give you a ride home. And that's how it started. And then from there, um, mm-hmm. paneling on her show, uh, her writer left, and they invited me to come on and write the show. What was the learning curve like to do the radio show? And another thing is this. Mm-hmm. Three-hour show a day. Yep. Give or take. There's commercials and stuff. Um You've got to have takes on stuff. Yep. Hot takes on uh-huh. stuff that you might, as a civilian, not have really cared about. Ever. But you've got to... Yep. Uh, you've got to... Uh-huh. D- that's the job. Yep. So there's two philosophies I take to talk radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm either dissecting the story through how does this affect you, mm-hmm. the guy listening to me, or what is my horse sense on the... Um, the human function in this story. So to give you an example, Hunter Biden shows up to a hearing where he's potentially being held in contempt for defying a subpoena, which is a lot trendier than the Republicans are making it sound. Let's, right. let's not act like they're throwing a perfect game on subpoena attendance, sure. but we get it. Okay. So in that moment, I don't actually have any legal acumen. But I likened it to the fact that I know he's not actually going to have to testify if he shows up. So it's a little bit of a posturing move. So I was kind of dissecting that through the lens of this is the classic example of a guy outside a bar. Right. Who, once the <laughs> cop shows up, acts like he wants to fight because he knows he won't have to. Hold me back. Thank you. That's exactly. So that's what I – that and, and that's usually the two lanes through which I'm filtering politics because mm. I need to make it interesting to me. And I don't want to make it wonky. Because I think my superpower is that I say this a lot on the radio is that I don't have one. I think the fact that I don't talk uh, with such a heightened intellect makes me more relatable. Sure. Um, did you care a lot or at all about news? Were yeah. You, news, you were a news follower. I, so I grew up in a big Reagan house. I grew okay. up in Levittown and everybody, Long, Long Island, New York. Yeah, Strong Island. And uh, everybody in uh, the OG Levittown was uh, some served in the military because it was you know predominantly settled by guys returning home from World War II buying houses, GI Bill and stuff like that. And uh, everybody in my house uh, post-military was a cop. I'm the only member of my family. It's not a cop. Only male member. I'm talking extended. Cousins, uncles, everything. <laughs> and uh, I, I say, like, I would have been a cop if it weren't for this thing called a background check, right. you know, that whole thing. <laughs> hey, oh. But uh, the point is, 
I had a lot of patriotism beat into me as an early age mm-hmm. because Reagan was president. In 86, they were refurbishing the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. and it was a big deal to get the scaffolding off. And that was like the whole focus of my third grade year was like America, land of opportunity, melting pot, all the cliches. But like I bought in. Like I was, I was surrounded by veterans. So I was, I was into it. And for that reason, I always paid attention to electoral politics. Mm-hmm. Big general elections. I didn't really, you know, I knew Cuomo was a governor. I knew who Ed Koch was, but I wasn't following it day to day. I didn't start to follow it till I drove a cab. And the reason being is driving a taxi is the original social media. And what I mean by that is someone gets in and shares an opinion with you. Mm-hmm. And then you wind up sharing with someone else who shares it with someone else. It's weird. Yeah. And you have like, it's like a human like button. Or the, but in a cab, you get a dislike button. Like people right. will get in. Yeah. So it was always fun, but I've kind of got slowly, there was this gravitational pull that I guess took me to where I am now in terms of intellectual curiosity. Are you going to stand up special on Fox Nation too? Mm-hmm. Um, what's it called? They're just oh, jokes? they're just jokes. They're just jokes. That's already out. Yep. And um, you make a joke in there about Fox domesticating you. Yes. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, you obviously can th- say things on stage mm-hmm. or in your personal life that you can't say on the radio. Do you find yourself when you're, because sometimes when you have a job like yep, yep. this, you're talking while you're still thinking of the next thing to say. Yeah. How often do you find yourself going, oh, I'm going down a road. I probably shouldn't be going down here on the, on this the radio. Is, this is what's weird. So not as much as you'd think. And this comes from being a comic and testing out material. What happens is really weird. But if you've performed enough, you know if the audience is going to laugh at a new joke three words into the sentence. Because you can tell how it feels. Yeah. And it's the greatest thing in the world when the joke doesn't work. Because the rest of the words are like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> like, it's too late. We started the sentence. And because of that, uh, that little, like, car, that firewall. On the radio, it's weird, but you can gauge where you're going. For me, anyway, it's slower in my head than it is in my mouth. So I actually am, like, probably four or five sentences ahead, and I don't find myself saying something without it having been vetted. And one of the things I do, though, to you your inter- point, You're internally vetting, vetting it. Yes. While your mouth is yeah. 15 seconds ahead. A hundred percent. It's like I'm on delay. Yeah. And one of the things I do on radio a lot is I play a lot of my own drops, audio drops. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, that's a chance to recalibrate. So if yeah. I do, to, to the point you said, which is like, oh, Jimmy's really going off on one here. <laughs> you know, Jimmy can play a sound effect from his kid and be like, oh, well, hold, hold on now. You do need to support this kid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got a book coming out later this month, the Cancel Culture Dictionary. Um, chapters in there about canceling entertainers mm-hmm. um, and being able to keep enjoying the art mm-hmm. and, you know. Separate and, the art from separ- the artist. Exactly. Yeah. Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson, Louis C.K., um, it, look, I, if Billie Jean comes on the radio, I'm yeah. going to say, wow, this is a banger, but it's but it seeps in. You I know, know what I mean? Nuts. And it's the same thing with Louie now. It's the same mm-hmm. thing if the Cosby show comes yeah. on, um, where those people's artistic legacy... Mm-hmm. It's tainted. It is is tainted. Yep. I think it I think it depends on the person. And what I don't mean the artist, I mean you yourself. Because music to a lot of people means a lot of different things. But for me... Uh, a lot of those songs are nostalgia songs. So I don't hear Michael Jackson and think of him, uh, you know, groping kids. I just think of being a kid. Yeah. You know, I think of like when they made the Thriller video, 
Okay, I actually consumed it like it was a horror film. And I remember they made the making of, and they, it, was, it, was, it was a real thing. I mean, looking back on Thriller, I think the most shocking detail was the fact that he had a girlfriend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was the werewolf. I mean, we could buy a werewolf, right. and I'm like, Michael's dating a girl. Uh, but I, I, so for me, that's where it goes. Now, for like somebody like R. Kelly, who I didn't listen to until, not really listen to him a lot, but I didn't hear him until my adult life, his music brings me closer to the crime. Got because it. I'm in, I, I consumed it in closer proximity. Cosby, and this one breaks my heart. Uh, I I consider the success of the Cosby Show around like eighty five, eighty six, like peak America. Because I feel like we were as integrated as we had ever been up until that point in our life. Mm-hmm. The Bears had taken the NFL into pop culture with the Super Bowl shuffle. Eddie Murphy was a big star. MTV was exploding. And it was like a feel-good time. Yeah. And I hate to know that like the face of that party you know, was what it was. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, there's that duality. I don't watch a lot of Cosby, so I don't miss it, but I'll always, like, I'm going to bump into my TV show on Michael Jackson songs. It's just reality. Yeah. And maybe I'm, again, out of touch because I wasn't cute enough for these guys. <laughs> maybe if I was a little <laughs> cuter as a kid, it would be more traumatic. <laughs> All right, Jimmy Fallon, host of Fox Across America on, uh, on your radios. Uh, Fox News Saturday night on the Fox News Channel coming up this weekend. Congratulations. And uh, also uh, the new book coming out later this month, The Cancel Culture Dictionary. Jimmy, good to talk to you, man. Good stuff, Chris. We'll always have this. I'm Dana Perino. We can officially say that the first round of voting in the 2024 presidential election cycle is upon us. The candidates have campaigned, and now it's time for the voters to decide. This week, campaign consultant Kellyanne Conway joins me to prep us as we head into the Iowa caucuses and beyond. Don't miss this one. Available now wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Will Kane. What's on your mind? Three of the greatest of all time in college football and the NFL retire, while two octogenarians run to run the United States of America. Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, three septuagenarians, three of the greatest to ever do it, retired in a 36-hour window this week from college football and the NFL. Coaching in either college football and the NFL is an incredibly demanding job. And we just watched three of the greatest to ever do it. For my money, the greatest football coach of all time, college or pro, has been solidified as Nick Saban. But whether or not you're managing a salary cap, you're trying to win in a league design to regress you to parity, you're dealing with free agency, as in the NFL, or you're trying to recruit 16-year-olds to join your program and working through the transfer portal not to lose them in six months in college football, coaching is incredibly demanding. And we just watched Carroll, Saban, and Belichick retire. Meanwhile, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are approaching, if not over, the age of 80. Now, I don't think numbers matter. And certainly, energy and acuity level are different for Biden and Trump. But it is of note, it is of interesting that no matter how demanding football is, it's more demanding to lead the United States of America. There are generational differences, energy differences, points of view differences between someone, say, in their 50s and someone in their 80s. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it is something to consider 
when these three football coaches in their early 70s say enough that the men were looking to elect are approaching their 80s. For more on this, more in-depth analysis of this and other things, tune into the Will Kane podcast, which on Monday, we'll be going Monday through Thursday, live at foxnews.com and on Fox News YouTube channel at 12 Eastern time. And as always, available right here in audio format at Fox News Podcasts. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.